everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, August 22nd, 2018 edition of the uh, Esteemed Weather Podcast. And I don't even know what show number it is. I forgot to pull it up. So let me look right quick. Uh, this is show number 240. It's being slow. Number 245. So uh, this is show 245 for the Carolina Weather Group. We appreciate you guys watching tonight. Uh, we have two guests on. We're going to kind of be talking about two different topics. Our first topic, uh, we have the big weatherproof event happening at the Schneel Museum in Gastonia. So uh, we have Candice Jordan on with us. She works there at the museum as the program specialist. She's also a... Um, well, she's a meteorologist. She used to be a broadcast meteorologist, but she's uh, not really in the TV business now. She's doing uh, some other things. So uh, we're, we're happy to have Candace on. She's been a longtime friend of the show. And we also have Mark Willis on. He is the chief meteorologist for Surfline. And uh, he's out at Nags Head out on the Outer Banks. So we're happy to have Candace and Mark on with us tonight. So we're going to be talking a little bit first about uh, the weatherproof event, and then uh, we'll start about 8.20ish or so talking about uh, our, our main topic tonight. But uh, we are live broadcast, so if there are uh, many ways for you to interact with us, you can do that so via our uh, Facebook Live or Periscope stream. There should be a comment section rolling, so if you have any questions tonight, feel free to uh, comment them there or even on our YouTube page. And we'll also be monitoring our uh, our Twitter page at Carolina WX Group. So if you have any questions, you can also tweet them into us. And uh, towards the end of the show, we'll let our guests uh, give out their social media accounts uh, or uh, best ways to get a hold of them. Uh, so if you're listening on the podcast, uh, you'll be able to maybe communicate some questions via that way if you have any. So again, uh, Mark and Candice, we're happy to have you guys on. Uh, I'm going to kind of skip our uh, normal roundtable weather discussion. Maybe we can do that towards the end of the show. Uh, but we do have Candace Jordan on with us. Candace, uh, happy to have you. I know we've been trying to work you on as a, a panelist or guest, but uh, tonight you're uh, on with us to talk about the uh, big event happening this weekend. Yeah, so Weatherproof is happening this weekend. I'm so excited. So this is my event through and through at the museum. So uh, for everybody watching, it's the Show Museum in Gastonia, North Carolina. Um, my name is Candace, obviously, and uh, as Scotty mentioned, I am a program specialist, um, but I'm still a meteorologist very much through and through. So a little background about how I got there because everybody always loves to hear that. So started out in TV. I uh, worked in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I worked in Greenville, North Carolina, and then I freelance in Charlotte. So I'm um, still dabbling TV. I just... Now I'm off air more than I am on air. And uh, it's nice because I have a 10-month-old, so the schedule works out a lot better as a museum <laughs> museum life. Um, but I love it. I get to do a lot of different hats. So my boss is like, hey, create an event for the museum. And I'm like, okay, cool. So like, let's talk weather. And so I get to invite a lot of cool people, including the Carolina Weather Group. Hey. Um, they're going to be out there and it's going to be a ton of fun. And Candace, you know, something that uh, our region, uh, the Charlotte, Columbia, Greensboro area, we've not really had a weather fest like many other locations throughout the country. So talk to us about what's going to be going on this weekend um, there at the uh, Weatherproof event. So we're going to have a bunch of activities. Um, definitely we are more of a family friendly museum, so it's going to be geared 
towards families. So there's gonna be stuff for adults to do, but stuff for kids as well. And so um, just a couple of things we're gonna be doing. We've got a Vandegraaff so they can play with lightning in a safer way. Um, we got tornado tubes, rain sticks. Um, we have one of our environmental educators about how plants use weather. Um, one of our animal uh, staff is gonna talk about how animals and weather go together. And then um, got a couple crafts for the kids to do because you know they always love to take something home and they always love to create something. So we definitely have that. And then uh, the the big piece is we got. Um, I have a presentation, so we're going to be debunking weather myths. So you know, if there's a halo around the moon, is there any truth in what's going on, or is it just completely bogus? Um, so we're going to do a presentation about that, and we're also going to do a planetarium show about weather on other planets. So tying in some astronomy. So I tried to hit kind of a bunch of different topics there. Uh, and then the big highlight is going to be our exhibitors. So they're going to be doing a lot of cool stuff. Um, so Carolina Weather Group, like I said, it's going to be there. Uh, we got a couple of TV stations. We got insurance. We've got an automotive uh, place coming. Um, I think off the top of my head, we have UNCC Storms coming, ECU, uh, quite a few people. Uh, we have a weather photographer as well something cool. So try to hit a multifacet of, of weather. That sounds great. Uh, looking forward to uh, to some of those programs, especially uh, the weather on different planets. Um, so talk to us about uh, maybe uh, the time of the event, uh, where they can go to find more information, and maybe just some of those details that, that we need to know before we get there. Yeah, those logistic things, you know. <laughs> um, so it's going to be showmuseum.org is going to be your best resource to go. There's some advanced ticketing you can do tomorrow. Otherwise, you just pay at the door. Um, it's from 10 to 4 on Saturday. So that's when everything will start. So uh, if you're going to come, come early because early is always better. Um, there's always more stuff early. <laughs> we start running out of things at the end uh, and everybody gets tired. So, uh, 10 to four Saturday, um, it's in Gastonia, North Carolina, um, showmuseum.org's good place. You can find the address, ticketings and all that stuff there. Uh, what else do you need to know? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Shay, uh, Chris, anybody else have any questions? I, I, I don't want to hog all the time. <laughs> All right, Shay's giving me the okay sign. Ah, good. All right, Chris. Uh, okay. Well, one thing, it's supposed to be beautiful this weekend, so at least you don't have the excuse that it's, like, extremely hot and humid and they can't come, so. That's true. It's <laughs> going to be a beautiful weekend and no rain in sight for the event, which is always good. Um, Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're excited about that. We need to dry out a little bit here in North Carolina. <laughs> so I know you're naming some of the vendors. Do you have any names maybe they'll drop that people may be like, oh, uh, I want to go see this person or that person. Oh, well, first off, Carolina Weather Group. <laughs> hey! <laughs> uh, now I've got WBTVs coming. Um, so a couple people from there are coming. We've got Spectrum. Um, also the local TV station in Charlotte's coming. Um, like I said, ECU is going to be represented. UNC Charlotte's going to be represented. Um, we are going to have Watson Insurance. So an insurance agency. We've got Atrium Health to talk about how health impacts weather. Um, I think off the top of my head. Uh, Stuart Daniel Photography is going to be there. Um, so a lot of good stuff. I believe I saw the Weather Service tweet out about them being oh, there. Yes. Is that true? National Weather Service will be there. Kicks will be there. Um, 14th Weather Squadron will be there as well. 
Oh, cool. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah. lots of folks uh, signed up to go. And again, Kenneth, one more time before uh, we kind of transition to our show, and we hope you'll stick around as much as you can. Uh, again, website, uh, is this um, an event maybe you can find on Facebook? Just again, how we can get the details. Yeah, so we have it on Facebook. If you look up the Show Museum of Natural History on Facebook, you'll find it. Um, we're on Twitter as well, and showmuseum.org is the easiest place to find it. And I'll be in and out. I have a 10-month-old, so uh, if I have to jet, y'all know why. <laughs> no worries. Well, we appreciate you being here, Candice, and uh, we look forward to being out at uh, Weatherproof this weekend, and we hope all of you guys can join. I know uh, we have some special things planned uh, for our uh, our little part there, so we'd love to see everyone out. Uh, it's fairly easy. It's in Gastonia, so uh, Interstate 85, I think it's exit 20, I think. Yep, exit 20, yeah, New Hope Road, 20. and you'll take it to Garrison. It's super easy. It's like, what, like two miles off the interstate, so not bad. Yeah, not a bad place at all. So come on out to the Weatherproof event. We'd love to see you. And again, Candace, thank you so much for joining us and, and letting us know a little bit about it. And if there's anything we can do in the next day or two, please uh, don't hesitate to ask. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. All right. Well, uh, Shay, do you want to bring in our guests? I know uh, you and Jared uh, work a little bit more with uh, with Mark than I do, or I can do it. How, how do you guys want to do it? I know we normally talk about this before the show, but... Yeah, sure. I'll, br I'll bring Mark in. Uh, Mark is the chief meteorologist with Surfline. If anyone is aware of Surfline does, they've been around for, for quite a while. They do wave modeling and, and all kinds of uh, forecasting all around the globe. I mean, not, not just the United States, but in other parts of the world as well. Uh, they also have been working with Sakura, which is a Southeast uh, regional sort of meteorology, sort of a society. Uh, and he's been working on a webcam network with them as well. So we have that to talk about plus some new things that Surfline is doing. Um, if, if you're not familiar with Surfline, go to surfline.com. Pretty easy to find. And uh, Mark, if you want to sort of uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe uh, how you got started with Surfline, what got you interested in wave forecasting and, and uh, how Surfline works. First of all, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be with you guys tonight. Um, and first, I guess before I go into my background and stuff, I'm really looking forward to that nice weather that Candace was talking about because the Outer Banks has been drenched. <laughs> you know, we got something like 15 to 20 inches of rain in July and, and, you know, we've had several days in August that have been rainy. So we're, we're looking out to the, the dry out coming over the next several days. That's for sure. But um, so yeah, believe it or not, Surfline has been around since 1985. So we're, you know, 33 uh, going on 34 years old. Uh, we were founded by Sean Collins who, uh, had a mission to really at the beginning to help surfers in Southern California figure out when and where to go surfing. And he had a niche for uh, looking at storms in the South Pacific Ocean and um, and figuring out that about seven to 10 days later, you'd have great waves show up in Southern California. And um, he became famous through predicting those waves. And that's grown obviously globally now and uh but as far as my background so i've got degrees in meteorology i went to florida state for my undergraduate uh, work in meteorology I went to university of hawaii uh, which is obviously a global hotspot right now with hurricane lane bearing down on the region i did my master's work there um, that focused on wave modeling and a couple other things um, then my career's kind of been uh you know back and forth a little bit I actually started uh, working for Surfline in the late 90s, and I became kind of their East Coast forecast guy. 
And then I jumped ship and went to the National Weather Service for about seven years, bounced around as I moved up the chain there a little bit, started in Eureka, California um, as an intern meteorologist. Then I went to the National Hurricane Center, spent a couple years down there in the Marine Branch, TAFB, the Tropical Analysis and Forecast Branch. Then I was in Moorhead City for a few years as a forecaster. And then my last stop in the weather service was uh, Eastern Region Headquarters in Bohemia, New York. I managed the Marine program for the uh, the Eastern Region of the NWS. And then Sean Collins, the founder of Surfline, brought me back to Surfline, I guess, in 2011. Um, and uh, yeah, one thing you know became another. And I, I do need to mention that Sean tragically passed during that period. But his legacy lived on. Um, and I'm back at Surfline and uh, all of our people, staff at Surfline try to maintain Sean Collins legacy of helping surfers know before they go and uh, and really helping make surfers lives better. But um, I grew up in Virginia and my uh, family had a home in the Outer Banks. And so I've you know, been chasing hurricanes all my life. Uh, I was a weather nut like you guys. I grew up really enjoying winter weather and um, you know, I was a winter weather and kind of hurricane guy, but then I started surfing and, you know, that's, you know, I guess I was in middle school or high school and, uh, you know, I, I kind of got sick. Of, I, I grew up in the peninsula of Virginia and I got sick of driving to the beach and there'd be no waves. <laughs> um, I was like, you know what, I got to figure this thing out. Um, and yeah, here I am today. So <laughs> that that's, <laughs> some, yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say some great information. What's it What's been it like for you? Your daughter, or, or not now, but you was with the weather service, uh, and now you're back into um, maybe more of a private sector or, or, or job per se. How's that been like? Because I, I know with the weather service, you know we we've seen a lot of change from where they weren't really social media stuff like that. So now they're finally kind of putting their toes into that uh, that area. Whereas you know with you guys at Surfline, you're strictly web based, and you get to push that stuff out a little bit more frequently. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously completely different missions. I mean, the weather service is to protect life and property. Um, you know, there's a lot of purpose and you know, a really important mission there. And Surfline is, you know, again, a for-profit business that um, is the mission is really to make surfers lives better and help people know what the waves are going to be like before they get to the beach. Uh, so completely different missions. Uh, but I, you know, I love working at both. I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for both uh, organizations. The uh, I've learned a lot about uh, just fundamental meteorology in the National Weather Service and, uh, um, you know, the warning meteorology and, and stuff like that. Uh, but on the flip side, on Surfline, you know, I've learned a lot about communication, uh, really simplifying messaging, um, frequent updates, as you were alluding to. Um, social, obviously, is a, is a massive part of what we do. Um, and, uh, and just trying to produce really engaging content, uh, which, you know, we want to be great scientists too at Surfline, but we got to do it in a way that uh, is going to be really engaging for our customers. <laughs> sure. I certainly understand that when we do our wind forecast for everybody. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, definitely has to complement every, every aspect of it, not just not just the, the wave action, but also uh, a lot of what's going on in the local communities as well. So tell us a little bit about how Surfline works with the the local spots. I mean, you know, you have California is known for multiple ride spots everywhere. How do you manage that much forecasting for not just the coast of the United States, but other parts of the world as well? Is it just 
uh, model driven or, or do you have actual forecasters for specific areas? Yeah, it's it's a major, major operation. So we have uh, both of those things. So first, you know, the group that I oversee is our team of human meteorologists. And we have 11 full-time meteorologists on Surfline and uh, an additional probably 15 to 20 contractors that support our, uh, what we call is our regional forecast, where we we forecast for probably about 100 regions around the world. And we're trying to tell people, what are the best days of the week? Uh, what are the waves gonna be like? Um, when and where should they go surfing on more of a kind of a larger general scale? Um, and again, we do that for about 100 locations around the world. And I can share my screen later to show you one of our core products. Um, but we also have a modeling component as well. We've got a whole team of, of data scientists and, and physical oceanographers and wave modelers that uh, support our model products that uh, are really their kind of end product and goal is to produce accurate spot surf forecasts. And we do that for literally thousands of places around the world. So uh, we find that the combination of both human meteorologists and our modeling technology is a nice complement to each other. Um, and uh, I still think there's a, um, a need for what the human team does, uh, which, you know, it obviously can be threatening as model technology improves, but you know, there's a lot of data out there, Shay. I mean, it's, it really can be overwhelming. And like I said, we do hourly spot surf forecasts for over 4,000 places around the world. And that can be quickly become overwhelming. So our job as humans is first of all, to tell when the model's wrong, um, but also to really simplify it and turn it into some actionable information of when and where the waves are gonna be good uh, so, you you know, that way you don't have to sort through all those 4,000 different spot forecasts every hour if you don't want to. And, um, and we can provide that additional insight. Right. So, um, you know, we get into, you know, we started talking about modeling, right? And, um, and how you're exacting your forecast and the technicalities for the, for the listeners out there <clears throat> and our viewers. Wave forecasting is very complex. The ocean doesn't send a swell from one direction every single time. There's all kinds of factors going into it, wind-driven current-driven, storm-driven, uh, you name it. And, and I wanted to get Mark to sort of talk about how you differentiate what's coming in from the ocean and how it's how it's coming into the coastline. I mean, you have refractive properties, all kinds of these little things that go on. Uh, how do you convey this message to folks without confusing them? So we do in meteorology, it's hard. Sometimes that's the hardest thing is to actually just convey the message uh, of what's going to happen. Yeah, it's super complicated because if you're, say you're at a point in the middle of the ocean, um, like Hawaii, for example, it's really, really, really common to have waves coming in from all different directions, all different heights and all different periods. We're talking about several swells that are impacting a given point in the ocean simultaneously. That's really, really common. So being able to interpret that to see which one is going to produce different things as it eventually reaches the beach or may not reach the beach, it, it can be challenging. And this concept is what we call as a wave spectrum. That's the concept of waves coming in from different directions, height periods and directions at a particular point. And what I tell a lot of our entry level forecasters is the first thing, like the first year you're here, I really want you to figure out 
all those different components, figure out what weather systems that they came from. And then once you kind of, once that starts to click in your head, um, whether that be a weather system that's on top of you, uh, maybe that's one that's 500 miles away, that's producing a mid period swell, or maybe it's that storm thousands of miles away in the Southern hemisphere uh, that was there seven to eight days ago. Um, it's really figuring out that interrogation process that helps make wave forecasters lives easier and things will really start to click when you can figure out, okay, this swell came from this weather system X days ago. This swell came from that weather system over there five days ago or whatever. That's really kind of the, the fundamental process of, of wave forecasting. <laughs> Very good. We mentioned Hawaii and uh, I know earlier in the show, we wanted to kind of uh, do a, a quick segment on hurricane lane, which is uh, going to be, sort of edging towards Hawaii. We're not entirely sure if it's going to make direct impacts, but the outwards effects of the system uh, will definitely be affecting the islands one way or the other. So there's hurricane watches and warnings up. If you want to talk a little bit about the wave activity there, and uh, maybe I can supplement that a little bit. We won't get too far off key here, but uh, maybe talk about hurricane lane for just a little bit. Sure. And do you want me to try to share my screen really quick so I can show you an animation or do you want to bring that up later? Sure. All right, let me see if I can do this without breaking things. And I apologize if something messes up. <clears throat> All right, can you guys see my screen? Yes. All right, so what this is, this is our Lola Deepwater Wave model where we you know, look at winds all over the world and we run them through our uh, physical wave model and predict what the waves are gonna be over the next several days. Um, the big thing there is obviously, you know, the Hawaiian Islands right in the middle, kind of the middle of the screen there. And that big blob is Hurricane Lane. And <clears throat> Hurricane Lane is just, you know, beginning to move out of the shadow of the big island. And as that occurs, we're expecting um, a building south-southeast, a south swell to impact the, the south shores of the Hawaiian Islands. It's actually already started. The Lanai buoy is showing about a I guess a three to four foot swell at 12 to 14 seconds. And uh, we're expecting that to continue to build over the next um, 12 to 24 hours. So the cams on Surfline that are on the south shores of the Hawaiian Islands, for example, Alamana Bowls, Waikiki and Diamond Head, uh, what you see today right now, it's going to be bigger tomorrow and it's going to be even bigger on Thursday as that swell starts to peak as Lane makes its approach towards the Hawaiian Islands. So, um, you know, one of the challenges that we have in these kind of situations is, uh, you know, Surfline is a recreational forecasting business. And, um, you know, as we communicate when the waves are going to be good, we really need to be careful because uh, obviously there's a bigger kind of picture here. And that's, you know, the protection of life and property as well. So we have to kind of tread the water there a little bit. Um, we don't want to put people in harm's way. And uh, we also want to make sure that our users are uh, going to the right place for the official sources of information related to uh, life and property stuff, such as the Central Pacific Hurricane Center and the Weather Service Office in Honolulu. So, uh, but yes, we are expecting a pretty good uh, south to southeast swell over the next 24 to 36 hours, um, you know, right off the coast of Honolulu, probably a six to eight foot kind of thing um, as it peaks uh, late tomorrow into tomorrow night. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll bring up kind of our south shore forecast stuff here and <clears throat> we've got the swell peaking 
Yeah, late tomorrow. This is, you know, our kind of our core human forecast product. Jonathan Warren put it out just a little while ago. Uh, he's one of our lead forecasters, been doing the Hawaii forecast for a really long time. Um, so he's got the surf coming up to, you know, five to eight feet there uh, through tomorrow. And that continues into Friday and then tapers off into the weekend. Um, and, you know, we can kind of interrogate some of our model products as you look at that. So, yeah, like a six to eight foot swell, as I, as I was mentioning really filling in tomorrow and into tomorrow night. So a good time to look at the Surfline webcams on the South shore of Hawaii tomorrow. Very good. Thank you for that, Mark. Uh, I'll go ahead and share my screen. We'll do a little talk uh, just because just I know there's some folks watching uh, tonight. And uh, here is Hurricane Lane, category four. Last reading was 155 mile an hour winds. And you can see the eye here. Uh, it was a uh, much more pronounced earlier this afternoon, our time, Hawaii, don't forget, is six hours behind us. Uh, so Hawaii standard time is six hours back. But we can see here in the last couple of frames that there's a little bit of a, a wobble in the eye. And if you look down here to the southwest of the storm, you can see some of this troughing coming up. And that's that's a little bit of southwest shear that's heading up into the storm. So that's starting to have a little bit of an effect. You can see that eye wall sort of bowing in here at the last minute. And it's going through uh maybe a, a recycling phase here and so uh or eyewall restructuring phase and so uh here's hurricane lane's latest information 155 miles an hour pressure up to one i'm sorry up to 935 millibars uh from 9 30 this morning uh, movement is west northwest at eight miles per hour it is expected to turn to the north northwest remain a major hurricane as it approaches the some of the islands here, it looks like the big island is no longer in the cone of uncertainty. But that does not mean that it will not get uh, some of the outwards effects from this. In fact, uh, when we have heavy banding along the east side of the storm, uh, these mountaintops here, this is going to be a really tricky situation because you have lee side and windward side of the islands. And when you get a lot of moisture banking up against the backside of these mountains, you can get some pretty phenomenal rainfalls. And in this kind of a situation, when you have a, a, a major hurricane coming up from the south, we could see a rain in excess of 20 inches, which means that landslides could be a major factor here and uh, flooding. So flooding is, is always the most deadly part of a hurricane. And we just hope that the folks in Hawaii, uh, you know, are going to be OK overall. Uh, the Hawaii hurricane local statement is here. Um, on, on this page, you can see all the information here, hurricane watches and warnings. Uh, for the most part, the public advisories pretty much have hurricane warning for Hawaii County, Maui County, hurricane watches for Oahu and Kauai, and uh, that includes Niaho. And so that pretty much is uh, going to be affecting the islands. It looks like the storm is moving off towards the west a little, a little bit more and more as time goes on, which is a good thing. Uh, before this storm was really starting to hug in right along the east side, or I'm sorry, the west side of the big islands. So now it's looking like it may head off to the west a little sooner. That's going to be some from some of the surface trade winds pushing it away once it gets into a, an area of really relaxed winds and relaxed atmospheric conditions. So uh, this is our data scope viewer from Weatherflow. If we look at our mimic imagery, get a better look at the eye, and we can see a, a really solid concentric ring around the eye. But as we go in time, we start to see that upper shear starting to nudge into the southwest portion of the storm. It looks like a secondary eye wall is trying to form and may be going through another restructuring phase at this point. 
We don't know yet. We don't know if it's going to weaken or to strengthen. Sometimes that's a sign of strengthening once again. And uh, this storm certainly has been surprising because it went to category five last night, 160 miles an hour and back down to 155, but it's holding the wind. So hurricane hunters have been repeatedly clarifying that for us over and over again. And the storm doesn't look like it's it's uh, backing down for right now, but it is suggest it is uh, forecast to weaken a little bit as it goes to the north. And I think I'll end with that and we'll get back on track with, uh, with Mark Willis. And um, I think we're going to move into, unless anybody has any more questions about wave modeling and forecasting. I have, uh, I know we're wanting to talk about some of the models and tools that you guys use, uh, but I'm going to screen share this and this may be a little off topic as well, but um, this is a, um, a graph of weather fatalities in the year 2017 and uh, just kind of uh, some of the dangers that that weather present and, and as you can see obviously flood and and heat are, are big weather um, causes of death but also rip currents uh, rip currents was third last year with, with 70 deaths and I know there's been um, several this year and even mark with, with you guys out on the Carolina coast so I know the waves and the wind and all that have to deal with, with rip currents. Do you guys provide rip current forecasts or maybe in your forecast discussion to your surfers or, or, or those who use your products say, Hey, you know, this area could see um, higher cases of rip currents. Uh, we leave that to the weather service. Um, but we, we try to support them in any way they need. Uh, for example, um, you know, Shay had mentioned the project we have Sakura with Sakura to, we've got, it's called the WebCat, Web Applications Testbed Project, where we've put up a network of CAMs in the Southeast United States. And one of the stakeholders in that project, Greg Dusek from the National Ocean Service, kind of the NOAA rip current dude. And this guy's the rip current guy. He's uh, built some probabilistic rip current models and things like that. Um, he's using some of the CAMs in this project uh, basically to detect rip currents. And we're really excited to be a part of, of that. Uh, the other thing that Greg and uh, some of the local lifeguards um, and some of the other um, agencies around here are working on is um, they have uh, some, you, you mentioned some of the deaths that occurred here. Um, you know, it's been a kind of a bad summer for it, to be honest with you. Uh, they, they really want to look at rip currents near structures um, right now. Um, and I think they want to improve some of their messaging with rip currents that may occur near things like jetties and piers that they feel like they can improve. Um, so they're actually working on, they're going to put some dye out in the water and basically detect it through drones and, and try to study that a little bit. And we're going to try to support that too, to, if we can, to give them another view of it uh, through our webcams and some of our cam rewind products. So yeah, that, that was a long winded answer to your question, but no, we don't provide rip currents, but we try to support them in any way we can. <laughs> so your webcam network, is that uh, something that you have a separate server for? I mean, what? Is that something that's funded or, or is that something your company just invests in to get data for all purposes? Like if you get a webcam in one spot, you want it to be for waves, also the beach, the conditions and everything involved, or is this um, separately funded for something else? So it, it's kind of a mix, but for the most part, it's all funded by us to support our business. Uh, and we try to put CAM strategically, just like you guys do it at Weatherflow, uh, where um, our, 
where the surf's going to be good for us and surf spots and things like that. And uh, it's it's a major, major operation. We about, have about 510 webcams on the Surfline platform. And to keep cam streaming all over the world, um, the, the servers and just the maintenance um, and things like that, it's a major operation. So just like we have a forecast team, we've got a modeling team, we also have a camera team that Make sure that the make sure that uh, those cams are running running smoothly and delivered to our customers. But um, yeah, we do. I would say ninety five plus percent of them are are supported by us for surfing purposes. But we've dabbled with other things like the Secure project, like I mentioned, that's for a variety of use cases from rip currents to wave run up um, to detecting whales. Uh, but uh, for the most part, they're for for surfing. <laughs> How many, uh, how many cams do you guys have, Mark? I, I know um, you, you go on your website, there's a lot, but do you have a, a number on how many you have and maybe what area has you know, more than others? 510 cams are on the Surfline platform as of August 22nd, 2018, but it's, it's growing all the time. Um, the majority of them are uh, Southern California, or I would say California in general, uh, Florida, um, you know, Virginia, Outer Banks region, New Jersey, New York, um, and around some other population centers. But uh, uh, we've got international camps too. We've got a network in Indonesia. We've got uh, obviously a lot in Hawaii, um, especially the North Shore, but a growing network on the South Shore of Oahu and, and other locations as well. We've got camps in Israel. You know, believe it or not, the, the Mediterranean Sea gets, uh, gets surfed as well. Uh, so, yeah, we've got webcams all over the world. <laughs> I tell you, I just got one, and um, I'm not going to say on the show where I'm putting it yet because it's going to be a surprise. But uh, I tell you, just that one Power Over Ethernet camera with a pan, tilt, and zoom capability, not easy to pick out, number one. Number two, I'm concerned about lightning. So, I mean, I've got um, surge protection, but, you know, with that many cams, I can't imagine what the, uh, you know, maintenance and labor might might be with it you know i mean you got that be, i guess you have folks that will will take a look at them if they ever go down yeah you know and we've you know learned we've done this for a long time so we've made mistakes and we've adapted and we've gone to new technologies and and things like that but yeah you mentioned lightning we've had we had one cam in miami that within like gosh i want to say like two months we went through four cams there because of lightning man like it was like uh, we need to do something different guys but uh but yeah we've got stories like that um and uh yeah it's it's a challenge <laughs> understood well um tell us a little bit more let's see uh we do have a viewer question and i was gonna ask to kind of back up a little bit and talk a little bit more about wave height period fetch so bernie sabo he's from tampa bay He's um, questioning in from Hilton Head, and he says, can you educate me on wave height period fetch, et cetera? I pretend to know science, these scientific terms, uh, but don't know how they translate into desired surf conditions. So tell us a little bit about how that works. How does wave height, what is period fetch? You know, when we talk about seconds, uh, what does all this mean? Sure. So wave height is, you know, the easy one. That's the the distance between the trough and the crest of a wave. And we measure waves at Surfline as they... Uh, first of all, there's a deep water wave, and um, those are typically measured by things like buoys and um, and satellites and things like like that. But then there's the surf height as well, which is very different than what the wave height in deep water is, because as waves interact with the sea floor, the bathymetry they do all kinds of crazy things. They bend, which is a you know a simple term for refraction. They um, they break, which is 
you know, shoaling. Um, but uh, as the wave height in deep water is usually pretty different than what it is in shallow water as it breaks. But wave period is kind of what we call the X factor in surf forecasting. It's it uh, can go a little under notice sometimes, especially to you know, newer wave forecasters, but wave forecast, we got really got to get wave period right because it's related to, um, first of all, the, you know, the textbook answer is the time it takes for successive waves to pass a fixed point in the ocean, such a buoy. But um, the complicated answer is waves, uh, wave period is also directly related to how deep a wave extends in, in, into the ocean, how fast it moves, and then ultimately the uh, breaking wave height as well. So wave period is really, really important to what we do. Um, and fetch, that's just a simple term for the area over the ocean that winds blow. And I'm going to share my screen one more time because we have a what I think is one of the most powerful wave forecasting products in the world that really highlights fetches of interest as it may relate to you based on where you're at. So let me try to share my screen one more time. Um, okay. So <clears throat> what this product is, is it's basically a fetch product and it's, um, this is for Hawaii and it's essentially showing you what winds are aimed at Hawaii, uh, all over the Pacific Ocean. And uh, the first thing I'm highlighting here, this was 96 hours ago. And notice the little green and blue shadings up near the Aleutian Islands. That's what this, that's telling you is there's winds over 20 knots aimed at the Hawaiian Islands. So that gives us an idea, okay, I need to pay attention to this thing because it might produce waves for us. The concentric circles are giving you a rough idea of um, how long the swell is going to take to travel. So each ring represents a day of swell travel time. Um, so right now, so we've got, you know, this was 96 hours ago. You got that thing in the Aleutians, which, by the way, that swell is still arriving now on the north shores of Hawaii. Uh, you've got a couple, you know, some typhoon activity in the West Pacific that uh, also could potentially send some westerly swell to the Hawaiian Islands. And then, you know, as you move through it, you see Lane come into the picture with obviously some elevated winds aimed at Hawaii as well. So this is one of our core forecast products that analyzes fetch, uh, gives you an idea of what storms or weather systems in an ocean basin have winds aimed at you of relevance uh, because that's what's going to produce waves for you. So that's uh, that's kind of wave height period and uh, fetch in a nutshell for your question. Uh, but the other thing is really complicated as to making a surf forecast. You got to get the local winds right because that really is going to impact wave conditions. So if you have strong onshore winds here in the Outer Banks, which is uh, east or northeast, that's you know usually pretty bad because it creates choppy conditions. Uh, but an offshore wind meeting up maybe an incoming swell that was produced from a weather system far away, that's really what we look for because it produces much cleaner kind of groomed swells and surf to ride that surfers tend to prefer. And the other thing is tide. You know, tide is a, a big influencer in surf quality. Um, for example, you know, the last couple of weeks, it feels like, you know, we've had anomalously strong high pressure off of the southeast U.S., which is not good for for swell production um and uh but we you know we've had these little kind of tiny swells impacting us so tide is really really important because when the waves are that and the swells that small you almost have to find a low tide for waves to really break um, high tide usually just get you know either looks flat or you have these tiny little waves kind of breaking on the beach so um so tide and uh, local winds are really critical uh, to making a good surf forecast as well yeah, we know that all too well on the southeast coast with a six to eight foot tidal swing where, um, you know, it, it's usually 
a better swell on the incoming tide, maybe a couple of hours past low heading into high. But once it gets to high, waves get mushy. Um, yeah, that's 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 got to be tricky as well. I mean, not only not only the fetch, the swell, the height period, but also the tides to go with it as well, and shelf waters. So um, large swell coming in from the Atlantic. You fit, a lot of times you figure these category four and five hurricanes that are out in the Atlantic, you think we're going to get these monster 10 to 18 foot waves, but we never do. Um, <laughs> because our shelf waters are so shallow, it just knocks the swell down. Um, so here's a question. This is more of a debunking kind of a question. Um, a lot of folks, especially here, we say two feet, but two feet means thigh to stomach high. Um, and so a lot of folks, I remember when I was younger, we used to argue, are we measuring from the back of the wave or are we measuring from the front of the wave? When you're, when you're doing your swell heights, which one are we doing here? So, well, first of all, it's like we're all the stuff that, you know, like that product I showed you in Hawaii that John issued. Um, we're always looking at the face height of waves for that product in particular for our breaking wave forecast. So that's, you know, knee high is two feet, um, waist high is three feet, chest high is four feet and head high. We call it things like the five foot wave because you think of somebody surfing, they're usually kind of crouched over a little bit and the average, you know, person's maybe, you know, almost six foot tall, maybe a little bit less. Um, but uh, we're looking at face height um, and uh, yeah, which is trough to crest, the front of the wave, not the back of the wave. <clears throat> Thanks for clarifying that. All right, I won. <laughs> but, if, you know, th this is a really controversial topic, my feel, because if you go to different places in the world, um, it's, it's all what the local communities have picked up. For example, Brazil, a lot of places in Australia and a lot of places in Hawaii, there's large portions of the surfing population that that do call it a little bit differently, such as the the back of the waves like you're talking about or swell height. Um, and that can make it very challenging to get our message across sometimes. Exactly, exactly. I was gonna say Tiapu is a prime example because it might be a, a six foot swell, but the, it breaks below sea level. And so you end up with a 15 foot face on a six foot swell. Yeah, and the other thing about chokes, Tipu is, um, you know, it's like that wave, it just gets really wide, right? You know, it doesn't really need to be that high, but it's just that thing, you could fit like a, a, a truck in that thing, the barrel, because it's just the way that the seafloor, the, the change is so abrupt. Um, so the, yeah, it's, you know, that wave is, you know, one of the, the seven wonders in the surfing world. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating topic. I saw some meteorologists last year talking about Tipu, and they were just amazed that, um, you know, it breaks blue. Just the whole concept of, of how it breaks is amazing. So um, uh, any other questions, guys, about modeling? I know I, I was going to ask one more, but I want to leave it up to uh, the rest of the guys to ask anything at this point. Nope. Okay. Um, real quick, before we get into the new, some of the new things that you guys are doing, uh, which models are you using for Surfline? I, I think we have what WaveWatch 4 is the newer one, uh, GFS. Uh, is Nam worked into that as well? I, I think the Hurricane, um, but the, the global one, and then you have the Hurricane wave modeling went away. And so, what are we using now? What, what are the? I know the Euro is on the table still. So we run a version of WaveWatch three with kind of our own twists and turns to it. Um, one of those twists and turns is we assimilate uh, satellite data um, and uh, and make adjustment adjustments on the fly. Uh, but, you know, kind of what we look at as our specialty is, you know, really that last mile before the ocean hits the coast and that near shore zone, because um, that's kind of really our specialty. So we run a number of near shore models 
uh, all over the world um, to really get that kind of zen in the coastal environment correct because that's what's going to allow us to produce an accurate breaking wave forecast so we've invested heavily in nearshore modeling um but we you know we run a variation of wharf uh for certain places around the world um and uh you know right now we're kind of um what we're about to release probably later this year is we've had some success with applying a, a layer of machine learning and artificial intelligence to kind of that last mile of the coast uh, to help us um, get breaking wave height forecasts a little bit more accurate. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting. We're doing some stuff with uh, the wharf as well, two kilometer range, but so you're, you're working some higher resolution models and uh, some machine learning processes. So that's fantastic. I always wondered how you were supplementing those and getting some of the different outputs that i've never seen before so that's that's really really cool it's worth worth the memberships everyone so if you're looking to get wave modeling and guidance surfline is the one you want for sure uh tell us a little bit about uh some of the new things coming well like for us for the human forecast team um we're just trying to do things to make our content more engaging like we're uh, you know, we're doing more audio podcasts, we're doing more video and things like that for a long time. I mean, we, you know, wrote this big, long block of text and that was kind of our analysis product, but, um, we're just doing a lot of things to get our content more engaging and, um, and also simplified. And so I think over the next year, you're going to see some really fun new things that our human forecast team can do. Um, as far as our modeling stuff, you know, it's, um, like I was talking about some of the machine learning things uh, that we're really working on using some of our archived observations, you know, that you know, we really had since Sean started the company in 1985, we can make some adjustments to our uh, shoaling algorithm, thing like that to create better breaking wave fight forecast. So accuracy is a, is a big thing that's going to improve. Um, camera technology is another one. Um, you know, I, you're going to see some really fun things that we can do with our cams over the next few months. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, just being able to uh, relive some of your surf sessions as well. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on with, um, sensors in the surf world. And, uh, you know, and as you kind of use that and combine it with some of the other great data sets that we have, it allows us to do some great things. So, uh, reliving your sessions, accuracy and more engaging content. Those are kind of the three buckets that I think you'll see some fun things at a surf line over the next several months. Fantastic. Awesome. We have uh, another viewer question that just popped up. Brooke Figgins asks, can Surfline, this is a great question, by the way. I can't believe I didn't, we didn't think of this, but uh, can Surfline be used in any way to help forecast tsunamis after major earthquakes? Um, I think, you know, first of all, our, we don't run like a tsunami model, uh, but um, but from an observation standpoint, um, I think the answer is yes. And from an audience standpoint, like we've got one of the biggest coastal and when it's relevant but you can also you know we do have a like i mentioned before a pretty large webcam network that um you know could potentially observe tsunamis as well but as far as you know modeling and things like that um and the the whole idea of protecting life and property we leave that to the the feds and uh, our, our partners over the national weather service <laughs> yeah that's um that's usually what that's always the best best thing to do. Leave it to the to authorities to issue all of their all of their statements and uh, advisories and warnings and whatnot. I know uh, if we want to tweet of the week or does anybody have any other questions? Yeah, I got one, Shelby. Sure, sure. Go ahead. Hey, Mark. Uh, just quick question: with uh, all the mesoscale high resolution models you guys are running, how many people do you actually have looking over you know 
that high resolution model data and interpreting it from what's right and what's wrong and, and putting it into your forecast? A uh, really good question. So it's um, yeah, it's a it's a big effort. I mean, I, in our modeling team, we've got four full time kind of physical oceanographers or data scientists, and then we've got um, several contractors that help support it as well. Um, but as far as like the interpretation, like that's where you know that's really kind of up to my team, the team of meteorologists, where we've got 11 full-time meteorologists that are interpreting that stuff all the time, providing feedback to the modelers. But we also have a back-end validation system, right, which is obviously pretty important, where um, in real time, uh, we can look at things like buoy observations compared to all of the different wave models that we produce. And that's great for us because we can interrogate the models and, and, and use that in our, in our products our human forecast product, but obviously great for our modelers as well, because it gives them an idea of bias and, and things like that and, and problem areas that need to, they need to think about addressing. So um, the modeling at Surfline is, you know, just like I said, with the CAMS, the human forecast team is, is a really big effort. <laughs> cool. Thanks. <clears throat> yeah. And Mark, I was going to kind of, I guess, add off to that. Um, you were talking about the, the different pots that you guys work out of with Surfline. How many, uh, how many employees do you guys have throughout the company? 92. Wow. Um, so it's, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, when I came back to Surfline in 2000, and I guess it was late 2011, early 2012, it was probably 40 or 50. Um, and so we've doubled since then. And uh, when I started my first time before I went to the weather service, gosh, we probably had 10 people. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, it's been really fun to watch, watch Surfline grow. Definitely so. And I know she was uh, talking about tweets of the week. Um, one question, kind of, I guess, not really dealing with surf, surf um, with you guys is um, you live in on the Outer Banks. How, how how closely do you monitor the hurricanes and tropical <laughs> storms and stuff out there? I know uh, just living here in North Carolina myself, that this is just a major hot spot. But, uh, you know, I only knew a few people who actually live out there and they always tell me, you know, they get antsy this time of the year and, and roughly so. So what's it like for you living out there? I tell you, man, hurricanes mean something different to me uh, now that I'm a homeowner on the Outer Banks than, you know, when I was a punk surfer <laughs> several years ago. Um, it's, you know, it's terrifying, man. Like it's, um, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to somehow live in a, a flood X zone, but uh, it's, you know, <laughs> It, it, it's, it's scary, man. And it's, um, you know, I, I don't hesitate to leave when we have to, I mean, we left with Matthew. Um, I've got two little kids, um, a, a wife that, you know, we, I don't want to put them in harm's way, but it's, um, like you said, man, this time of year, it's like <laughs> your blood pressure pressure goes up and it, it gets nerve wracking, but it's exciting too, man. You know, it's, um, it's probably part of the reason why I chose the career path I did, but, uh, um, it's nerve wracking. <laughs> Well, I, I know I know the threat of hurricanes is serious, but you also have a beautiful um, view every day to look at. So I guess you have to kind of trade the, the good and the bad. That's right. And, you know, what we hope for every year is fish storms, man, because that's perfect for surf. It produces swell, but uh, but no bad impacts. And, um, and you know, and hope, hopefully we get some fish storms this year because, man, it's uh, it's it's pretty quiet right now. <laughs> Yeah, very, very quiet. I always think of like Outer Banks is like where the, where the surfing we used to go up there to <laughs> chase the safe surf. If there's a storm coming, it's almost like the apocalypse now you know, scene where he's like, you know, Lance, get out there and hit the waves. And 
bombs going off and everything's going crazy. There's chaos and um, yeah, it, it gets nuts up there. Absolutely nuts. Yep. So let's see. Tell us a little bit about how our viewers can find you on any of the media platforms, Facebook, Twitter. Would you like to share that information with us? Sure. So you can follow me at, uh, at M Willis Surfline, um, uh, both on Twitter and Instagram. I'm probably more active on Instagram than, than Twitter. It's surfing is it's bigger. On, it's, it's an interesting dilemma actually, because, uh, surfing is bigger on Instagram, but weather is bigger on Twitter. So I do both. Um, but we also have our main accounts, um, at SL forecast and, uh, um, you know, that's our forecast team's uh, social handle handle, then our main kind of company's account at Surfline as well on, on all the social platforms. Thank you very much. All right, Scotty, I'm going to turn it over to you for the uh, in kind of the, the last portion of the show here. Thank you, Shay. I appreciate I appreciate you, uh, you leading the interview tonight. Uh, good stuff right there. Uh, we will do tweets of the week right quick. Uh, I know where it's, it's about nine o'clock, so. Uh, if anyone has a tweet pulled up, Chris, I know you already called dibs on one. Do you have yours pulled up? Yeah, I got it, Scott. Yeah, right, I'll let you go ahead. I've, I've almost got mine. Go <laughs> yeah, let's go over screen share here. All right, mine comes from the shocker. NOAA uh, Aircraft Operations Center, the basically NOAA Division of Hurricane Hunters from the P3 Orion, Kermit, uh, did an eyewall penetration earlier, I think uh, about 12 hours ago on the hurricane out in Hawaii. And got this nice stadium effect picture once it broke through the eye wall. And uh, you can see the, the nice vertical structure of the eye wall with the uh, low level clouds right on the surface. Absolutely gorgeous. And there you can see the, uh, the eye wall on their uh, radar inside the aircraft. I saw that. Would you get on a plane and go on one? Absolutely. <laughs> he had no hesitation. Don't eat dinner the night before breakfast that morning. Oh, I, absolutely! I would love, I would love to go through the eye wall of, of a hurricane on an aircraft. That'd be awesome. And no hesitation there. Yeah, I saw that tweet earlier today, and uh, we saw that last year the stadium effect. I can't remember what hurricane it was. Um, there were, were several major ones last year, but just seeing that um, is just amazing. And you know, you know, you know once, once those guys fly through those eye walls, you know, the plane is going to drop a, a fifteen, two thousand feet. Uh, and they, they let it happen basically because you know, when you're in an aircraft, your autopilot goes off barometric pressure. And once you get to the middle of a hurricane, barometric pressure drops out. So the plane drops. Kudos to them, folks. I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I, I remember hearing about uh, mesovortices inside the eye wall where Hurricane Hugo and the pilots went in and they dropped, I think, 3,000 feet. <laughs> and they They're straight down. They, they, they came up. You know, I mean, it was, it was a pretty big jolt. A couple of people, I think, one, well, at least one person got hurt on board. They said, wow, that was the, the worst one they've ever had. I mean, a drop for 3,000 feet for an average person would be the end of the world. You know, these guys <laughs> are kind of used to dropping that fast. Yeah, 200 feet is just kind of like a little rattle in the seat. You know, you get 1,000 feet, and it's like, okay, that got my attention. 3,000 be fun. Crazy stuff. Um, Jared, I see that you have yours put up, so I'll let you go ahead. Yep, absolutely. So this is a little uh, tweet thread of the week. Um, you know, I was so good at just doing singular tweets, and then I started doing Instagram, and I did one of my own. I just keep breaking the rules. Anyway, but uh, this is from uh, Justin Gibbs at the Warning Decision Training Division. I, I like to remember they, they were the Warning Decision Training Branch. It was a little easier to say. Um, 
and, uh, and, and this is just great. I'd love to explain to someone from 100 years ago how we forecast hurricanes. We have satellites in outer freaking space that zap lots of different pictures back to us. We fly airplanes into the center of the storm, use supercomputers to build a replica of that hurricane, and all the weather all over the globe. And we can look at all that and tell basically where it's going and can make a pretty good guess at how strong it'll be when it gets there. People could even use their handheld computers to see the data coming live and armchair quarterback the forecasters in real time. And the, the response would be, he's a witch, burn him. Um, <laughs> It, so, I mean, I, I think uh, I, I love stuff like this because it is it is remarkable just how much the technology has evolved. And, you know, I've, I've got lane up right now um, on Ghost 15 and it feels like I've stepped back to 10 years. It's like we really need Go West and we really need, uh, you know, Go 17 over there as Goes West. And it's just it's just remarkable just how much of, of a change that we've seen just even in the last year from you know, observing hurricanes with, you know, ghost 13 and 15, uh, and now, you know, go 16 and pretty soon go 17 for most hours of the day. <laughs> yeah. For most hours of the day. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll go ahead and pull up mine. Mine's not dealing with hurricanes. So, um, this was, uh, this was a tweet from Brad Panovich. Uh, yesterday, uh, Venezuela had a 7.3 earthquake and uh, this was a um, seismograph from Dogwood Stamp Mountain, North Carolina, which is here in western North Carolina. And uh, as you can see, that hurricane was strong enough that we actually felt some of the uh, the seismic waves all the way up here in North Carolina. So I always find this fascinating when when uh, we see bigger earthquakes occur that uh, our little seismograph here in North Carolina can pick up on this. So, uh, again, uh, as you can see, it, it picked up on that yesterday. So, uh this was uh, this is my tweet of the week. It always fascinates me how when the earth shakes far, far away, you can still feel it where you are. So uh, fascinating. It shows how sensitive the instrumentation is. That's uh, pretty cool. Well, let's see. My tweet uh, doesn't have to do with storms or anything. This is a an optical illusion or a phenomenon known as crepuscular rays. I've been seeing a lot of folks posting pictures going. What's going on here? Uh, I've never seen anything like this before. And this time of the year, we see this on the other side of the sky, and those are called anti-crepuscular rays. Uh, it's, it's an old Latin word. It, it sounds kind of like a crusty word, but it's not. It's just, it, it has to do with light and photons and whatnot. But basically what this is, is the sun is setting and you have clouding that, that creates a shadowing effect. And in this case, the beams from the shadowing effect or, or down below the higher clouds, the higher cirrus clouds. So you can sort of see it, the, the shadowing in between the top of that cloud and the higher cirrus clouds. Uh, and, and so sometimes you get this beam, these light beams that sort of disappear down on the other side of the sky in the eastern side during sunset. And uh, those are the anti-crepuscular rays and they can be a little bit deceiving uh, sometimes because it looks like it looks like the, the beams are coming from there. But if, if you think of like a train track and you look down the track for miles, a nice straight piece of track for miles, uh, you'll see the track kind of come together. And that's the exact same optical illusional effect that goes on there. So uh, if, if uh, for all the viewers there, if you see this kind of effect, however it looks, when you see some beams coming out from behind a cloud, those are called crepuscular rays. So just a little bit of tidbit of information for those out there watching. Yeah, we had a few of those a couple of weeks ago. I think Candace actually got a picture of some a couple of weeks ago and shared it on Twitter. So, Yeah, I did. That was uh, very, very cool. Uh-oh, we lost her, her cool. connection. 
Yeah. You gotta love technology there. So, um, so we lost Candace's feed there, but she got some good pictures. Pictures of the bells. So. Wow, the audio is still coming. Through. I thought I heard that movie one time. Oh, all right. Oh gosh! All right, I don't know what to do. The, the aliens are. Uh, 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 all right. Okay. There we she's go. gone. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, let's uh, let's finish up our show next week. We have uh, Chris Ray and Wesley Shaw on with us from MyCoast. Um, MyCoast.org. Uh, they kind of uh, document things that go along on the coast: storm surge. Uh, flooding events like that. So they're going to join us next week to talk about their program. Uh, and then uh, September 5th, we're going to be t- talking about uh, topograph, topographical, I think I said it right, influences on hurricanes with Dr. Jean, uh, Jan DeHart from Colorado State. Uh, so that's what it looks like for the next couple of weeks here at the Carolina Weather Group. As always, if you have any guests or show topics that you would like for us to uh, talk about, please feel free to uh, reach out to us and uh, we would love to uh, to get those topics and those guests on that you request. I will say we are looks like we're booked up through uh, well through the end of October. We have an open show on the twelfth of September. We kind of strategically put that there because that's the uh, peak of hurricane season. So we'll see if anything in the tropics develops uh, between now and then. So uh, besides that, we are fully booked through uh, the end of October. So again. Uh, any guests or topics you would like, just let us know and we will get those. It may not be uh, soon, but uh, maybe November, December on into 2019. I can't believe we're saying that. And that as we say that, Shay's got uh, the uh, the graphic of uh, peak hurricane season. And Shay, we're really getting close to uh, to that happening. That's correct. We are getting towards the end of August. This is the time when we see the highest amount of activity during the typically see the highest amount of activity during the tropical Atlantic basin. Uh, so we will continue to watch. Uh, everything's quiet and sea surface temperatures are cooler than normal in some of the, the main spots like the main development region and uh, other spots as well. But we continue to watch the Gulf of Mexico and Southeast United States for cold fronts that, that come across and uh, stall out and then we get homegrown systems. But uh, other than that, fairly quiet. We're enjoying that and the predictions are still we're below normal season with only one major hurricane in the Atlantic Basin. So we don't know when it's going to happen or if it's going to happen. But if it does, uh, hopefully it won't affect land. Yeah, Shay, I was actually seeing uh, some folks post on the uh, National Hurricane Center's five-day forecast, and they have a, a little bit of area concern off of the African coast. I think it was like 10 or 20 percent. But uh, Well, we all know the 384 hours. <laughs> That's right. It always does. And, and you can watch Shay's weather flow information. You can check out uh, Mark's uh, surf cams, and we'll, we'll have you covered with uh, with those hurricanes moving in. So, again, we uh, want to appreciate you guys. Uh, or say our appreciation to you all for uh, joining us tonight. Mark, once again, thank you for uh, joining us here on the Carolina Weather Group. We'd love to have you back sometime. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And I'm really glad the massive internet outage on the Outer Banks did not prevent me from coming on today. So thanks again. Yes, we're glad they got that fixed. Uh, we, we really are. And I, like I said, we'd love to have you come back on and, and talk with us at any time. It's been a, a great show. Uh, thank you. 
Yeah, no problem. So for everyone here at the Carolina Weather Group, we hope you have a great weekend. If you can make it out to uh, Weatherproof on the uh, on Saturday, come on out, see us. If not, we will see you back here next Wednesday night at 8.15 for our next show of the Carolina Weather Group. Until then, have a great weekend, and we'll see you later.